A popular preacher, a synagogue, and a steep cliff. Grab your Bible and let's talk. Welcome to the Bible, Glitter, and Glue podcast, where Bible study and thought-provoking conversation lead to creative teaching. Now, here are your hosts, David and Mary Nelson. When I think about dangerous jobs, what comes to mind is maybe a construction worker working up on a skyscraper way up in the sky and big steel beams swinging around and how dangerous that is. And a lumberjack is another dangerous job. And depending on where you live in in this world, a policeman can be a very dangerous occupation. Or a fireman. I'm thinking about running into a fire, risking their lives to save others. Those are all dangerous jobs. And yet, in our lesson today, there's another job that turns out to be very dangerous. Who would have thought that preaching would have been dangerous? But it almost cost Jesus his life. And so our conversation today is actually from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And before we get to the end of this chapter here, Jesus almost loses his life. It begins in verse 14. It says he went back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about Jesus began to spread around. He went to the synagogues and was teaching and preaching, and he was becoming very popular. So he's in the midst of this popularity, but he goes back to his hometown, the place he grew up. He goes back to Nazareth. I can imagine this community seeing Jesus come, and they're thinking of how he used to be growing up. He comes back as a popular preacher. I'm sure they gathered together into the synagogue on the Sabbath, excited to hear about one of their own coming to expound on the Word of God. Jesus is in the synagogue. Now, a synagogue is not equivalent maybe to what we think of as like a church building or something. Isn't the synagogue more of a community center? Yes, a synagogue was more than just a place of worship on the Sabbath. They did that on the Sabbath. But also, it was where they conducted business in the community. So it was kind of the central part. It, It functioned in a much larger capacity than simply the place to go on a Saturday to worship. And also probably the school. It's where the young Jewish boys, you know, Jesus himself might be returning to the very synagogue where he went as a boy. I'm, I'm sure he did. I'm sure it's the same one. And it says on this Sabbath, it says he went to the synagogue as he always did. So Jesus was in the habit of going to church. <laughs> that was his habit. Ah, that is a good habit to have, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we downplay that. And I think especially in these modern times when we're so self-sufficient, we all have our own Bible, we can have our own car, we can do things our own way. But Jesus goes and he's with other people in the synagogue, and that is his habit. We find that Jesus is reading the scripture. And in fact, the oldest Descriptions of what happened in a synagogue worship are found here in this text we're reading today in Luke 4, and also in Acts chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, when Paul goes into a synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia, and Luke gives us a little description, a little insight, a little window into what went on in a synagogue worship. 
what's mentioned is that there was a reading from the law and the prophets. That's what's mentioned in the Acts text. Here in the Luke text, it's just mention of reading from the prophets, Isaiah in particular. There would have also been prayers, and there would also have been time to expound on the reading, a word of exhortation, word of instruction. One more thing before we move on from this. The text was written in Hebrew, and so Jesus would have read the Hebrew text, but it had to have been translated into the local language of the people in Nazareth, and they spoke Aramaic. So there was translation going on as well. I'm reading this text, and I'm seeing sort of two parts. There's the reading from the text, and he stands up to do that. And then there is an explanation or a teaching from the text, and to do that, he sits down. Is that significant? Is that the common way that people would do that, rabbis would teach? That would be the common practice, is that when the Scripture is read— you stood up, and that showed respect toward the Word of God, respect toward God. And then you would sit to teach. And that's probably where the phrase sit in the seat of Moses, the place of teaching is, is sitting. That's interesting that we read that because in a classroom setting, there's both. We do stand to teach, but also sitting at the table with the children, I find, is so important because it makes me one of them. We're more conversational. I do both in my classroom. That's good. Jesus reads from Isaiah, and I find this interesting. It says in those earlier verses that he went with the power of the Spirit and then The scripture reading that he had for that day started with, the Spirit of the Lord is with me. Jesus is doing his ministry in the power of the Spirit. He's depending and trusting in God. The book of Isaiah was being read. That could have been the text that was supposed to be read that day, or it could have just been that Jesus chose to read this text. We don't know for sure, because there is some evidence that At this time, there was some lectionary readings of the Scripture. There was prescribed reading of the Scripture. Reading through the Bible kind of thing, right? Yeah, but it it is significant that this is the text that's read. From Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and following, is what is quoted here in verse 18 and verse 19 of this text. And it's a significant Messianic text. And Mary, you've already pointed out that there is a connection with verse 14, that Jesus was going about his ministry in the power of the Spirit, and he's in Nazareth, and he begins reading from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 61, where it says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me or is, is with me. And the Spirit of the Lord does what? He said, the Spirit of the Lord chose me to tell the good news to the poor. God sent me to tell the prisoners that they are free and to tell the blind that they can see again. And God sent me to free those who have been treated unfairly and to announce the time when the Lord will show kindness to his people. So Jesus is very much aware that this text is about him and that he is actually fulfilling what the prophet Isaiah had spoken about, that the God is going to be with him to empower him to do his, his ministry of releasing people from their oppressions, their sin, their darkness. So far, so good in that sermon. The people are very accepting of that. Hearing that, that's a scripture they know. Maybe some of them were putting things together and thinking, well, Jesus is that popular 
preacher. Uh, maybe he's the one. Maybe they were thinking that when they were listening. I think you're probably right. I think they're anticipating, because that's a very significant text of Scripture. They would have been aware of this. Put yourself in that situation. Verse 20 says, Jesus closed the book or he rolled up the scroll. It was a scroll, not a book like we understand a book. He gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. And the, and the Bible says that everyone's eyes were focused on him. They were anticipating, what is he going to say next? They just heard the scripture read, and that perked their interest because of the significance of this text. And so they were focused on, what is he going to say next? Everything he quoted was about a Messiah coming, a Savior, helping. But these being the normal Jewish people of the time, they would have thought, for Israel, for us, he's bringing these things to us. He's saving us. And it seems to me like it's all about what this means for God's people. That's an interesting point you brought up because that, that's a comment on us listening because we listen through our preconceptions, don't we? And I think what, that's what we have here, don't we? Because they're hearing this and they're just thinking, yeah, this finally God's going to do all these great things for us because we're so special. But then when Jesus goes on to explain how God or the scope of God's salvation, it didn't quite sit right with them. No, he's talking about more than just the people of Israel being blessed. That's not just the Jewish nation that will be blessed. He's saying all of these good things are for everyone. And in fact, he puts them in their place a bit. And this is where he starts getting into dangerous territory in his preaching because he gets very pointed. He brings a couple of examples from the Old Testament of times when God helped people, but they weren't part of the Jewish nation. They weren't part of the chosen people, no. So he brings the example of Elijah. During the time of Elijah, things were very bad in Israel. There were lots of problems. The leadership was terrible. There was famine. There was no rain for a long time. A lot of bad things had happened, and there were a lot of widows uh, in the nation. And of all the widows in Israel, you would think God would be coming to help them. But he said, no, Elijah helped the widow of Zarephath. She wasn't even a Jew. No, she wasn't. She was a Gentile. She didn't even live in Israel. And the other story that Jesus tells concerns another Gentile, and this time, sort of the opposite end. She was a widow, uh, poor, and here we have the story of Naaman. There are a lot of lepers in Israel, but it's Elijah was sent to not only a Gentile, but to Naaman, who was a general in the army of Israel's enemy. So that was Elisha was sent to help Naaman. Well, actually, Naaman came to Elisha, didn't he? But Naaman ended up being cured, being cleansed. And he wasn't even a Jew. Now, you introduced a word, David, I don't think we've talked about in our podcast, and that's Gentile. What is a Gentile? Ooh, a Gentile. Well, from a Jewish perspective, there are only two kinds of people in this world, two ethnicities. You were either Jewish or a Gentile. And Gentiles would cover everybody else, no matter where you're from, what language you spoke, what culture you came from. 
you're all put in the category of Gentile. So you're either a Jew, which are God's specially chosen people, elected people, God's covenant people, or you were a Gentile. And God had promised to be with his people, to be their God, to bless them. He made all these promises specifically to them. That's what they were listening for. But actually... Throughout the Old Testament, God said, even going back to Abraham, that the purpose of this was to bless all nations. He always wanted to bless all nations, not just Jews, but the Jews were his people, and he used the Jews and what they did and how they followed him so that others would be blessed. And here we go again. He sent the Messiah from the Jewish nation to bless the world. How convenient to select certain Bible passages or, or certain places which privileged yourself, privileged you, reminded you of how special you are, but then you set aside those other places where God says, no, I want to bless all peoples. The Jews often forgot that. And I think this is the reason why they get so angry with Jesus, because It just didn't fit with what they expected and what they wanted. They were living in a time like the time of Elisha, like the time of Elijah, where God's people were suffering greatly. But God blessed the Gentiles, and Jesus is saying God is going to bless the Gentiles too. God is concerned for everyone. And isn't it great that we are never like this in our world? I say that sarcastically because I think we can so easily slip into privilege and thinking, because I am fill-in-the-blank, God is going to be blessing me more because of the country I grew up in. God must love me more. God must bless me more because of the kind of job I have. I'm privileged, and so God must bless me more. And we can start thinking of whatever position we're in or the color of our skin, the kind of house we live in, all of those things. And we think that God is blessing us more and is going to bless us more. And then we start forgetting about others. Yeah. That's just human nature. It's not just a particular problem of the Jews. It's a particular issue that we all face and all have to wrestle with and all struggle with. The sermon was going great. They're agreeing. He's reading from the scripture. What could go wrong? He sits down, and that's when he tells them, it's not all about you. Those examples he used, that's when the sermon turned. It seems like that's when the tide turned of how they felt towards Jesus and what he was saying. This was not what they wanted to hear. And they got, yes, very angry, and they got up, and it says they forced Jesus out of the towns. You can just imagine them you know, trying to grab Jesus and push him out of the town to the hill, intending to throw him off. And we don't know exactly what happened. The last verse is Jesus walked through the crowd and went on his way. Their intention was to get rid of Jesus, but it wasn't his time. And so he walks through them, walks past them, And goes on his way. I love how the writer here leaves that to our imagination. I mean, did he just sort of become invisible and walk away? Did he slip through their fingers? Did he wrestle away? I mean, a whole crowd and one man doesn't seem like it would be that hard to throw him off a cliff. 
But it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen. And again, the Spirit is with him. Right. If I was outlining this, David, in the least amount of points possible, (laughs) I think I would say verses 14 and 15 are just the popularity of Jesus, the setting of him being a popular preacher. And then point two, I've got verses 16 through 27, his preaching in the synagogue. And, and really, that's two subpoints because there's the positive part of the sermon, and then there's the part where he hits home and they get very upset. And then the third point just being verses 28 through 30, the action that led them to when they tried to kill him because of what he was preaching. So that's how I did it, three points. That's good. Well, there's a lot of discussion points here in this text of Scripture. What makes for a successful sermon? A successful sermon is not, you don't measure that by how the people necessarily react, but is it conformed to the the Word of God? Is it conformed to the truth? Is it what God's people really need to hear, not necessarily what they want to hear or would like to hear, but do they really need to hear it? Well, I think on the other side of the coin, as I'm sitting listening to a preacher, I need to be careful of saying, oh, that was a great sermon. And when I hear a sermon and it's very convicting or even highlights some things I'm doing wrong, then do I say great sermon, great preacher, or how do I take that? I think we need to pay attention to that, too. That's a good point. Sermons do need to challenge us. They do need to get us to think more deeply about our lives, about how our lives are conforming to God or not. And what His plan is, looking at His overall plan. It's not just about me. It's not just about what I like or don't like. It's not even just about my church and who we are. It's about the whole world. When I listen, I'm listening for what is God's plan for this world. I think that's really important. Just a couple of things I just want to share right now. Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and God sent me, it says, to tell the prisoners that can be free or to set the captives free. And then he says a little bit later on in that verse, God sent me to free those who have been treated unfairly. Your translation may have the word release, but that word is the word that's often translated as forgiveness. And that's the word we find at the very beginning of the gospel. And also that's the same word that's found in Luke 24 when Jesus tells his disciples to go and preach repentance and forgiveness of sin to the nations. We see that Jesus talking about that here. So it's it's the same word. One thing I want my students to understand is the fact that Jesus preached. He preached from God's Word, and people listened. And I just that fact, I'd like them to dwell in that a little bit, what a preacher does. A preacher preaches the Word of God. And I have children in my classes, depending on where I am, that some are more familiar with preachers and some are not. So I maybe would spend a little time demystifying. If I'm in a very formal setting, it may just be as simple as taking a little tour up to where the pulpit or the podium or the lectern is and just having them look around and stand behind it and see what it might feel like to look out at the audience. That's a big deal for a lot of children. And I could even recreate that in my classroom. We could make our own 
preaching pulpit and we could let the children take turns reading scripture, that just kind of gives them a feel for what it's like to be a preacher and to read God's Word to a group of people. That's a great idea. Now, we read through this very quickly, but the fact that he was reading from a scroll, they didn't have books like we have books now, but they had scrolls, and you would have had to unroll it all the way to the place where you were reading from. So Jesus read from a scroll. So if I'm thinking of a craft or something like that for a Bible class, when we've talked about this lesson, it's really fun to make a scroll, very simple thing to do, just make a scroll. If you really wanted to, you could use a cup and make like a megaphone for preaching so it could be louder, but I love a scroll. Well, in an adult class, we're talking about preaching and preachers. Most of people listening to this podcast would be familiar with a preacher. They may have their own preacher. One thing that could be done in a class is for everyone in the class to think about the message that the church needs to hear. What message do you believe the church needs to hear? And then write that down, and then write down three points in the class, discuss those points. Now, what could go wrong? <laughs> You'll have some different opinions. There will be a lot you? of different opinions. So how do you re- respond to that? Well, that might give a little taste of, of the delicate nature of preaching to a group of people. Because people have all different kinds of needs. They're in different stages in their life. They have different problems and challenges. One week and one Sunday, someone may have had the most joyous thing happen that week, and another person be devastated by something terrible that has happened, and yet there's one preacher getting up to speak. So it is a challenge. My heart goes out to preachers. I think it's a a noble thing for people to accept God's challenge to be a preacher. I do too. Preachers today are not portrayed in a very positive light in the media and the public eye often, yet they're important. And another thing that you could do in the class is write a note of encouragement to your preacher. That could be adults or children. Yeah, it's not easy being a preacher. It's not easy getting up there behind that pulpit and speaking a message from God's Word week after week after week to a church that has all these different experiences, different backgrounds. So write a note of encouragement would go a long way. You know, and let me just say, having been married to a preacher for a lot of years, also to the family of a preacher, if the preacher in your church has a wife and children, those family members also are under a microscope. People are looking at them. I mean, he's representing the Word of God, and they're thinking that family needs to be that way, too. So writing a a note of encouragement, appreciating them for backing up their church and being there for them would be great, too. It would, yep. As we look through these verses, it reminds me how God always intended that everyone should be blessed. Everyone should be saved. And I hope as you've read through this, and as you go on and pray and think about what you're teaching, that you'll share those same things with everyone in your Bible class. And may God bless you as you continue to speak into the lives of children. Thank you for listening to the Bible Glitter and Glue podcast. Subscribe now to listen to new weekly episodes and visit missionbibleclass.org for more free resources to help you share God's Word with children.